for um, our series, we're going through the Bible timeline. And, and really, we see the Bible as primarily a story um, of redemption. And so it starts with Adam and Eve in creation and the fall, and that's what we'll be covering today. And then we start to see in the Old Testament, God formed this nation through Abraham called the Israelites. And he's bringing salvation through Israel as a, also as a foreshadow and, fore, and cursor for uh, Jesus as he comes in the New Testament. So we're going to just kind of slowly truck through uh, some of these really important conversations um, from Adam and Eve to Abraham to Moses and then into the nation of Israel's uh, Solomon. And then after that, the two kingdoms, uh, there's a split in, in Israel. We have... Um, Israel and Judah, and then there's this period of the exile. So we'll kind of hang out there a little bit too. Again, trying to get that arc um, how, of how the, the scriptures unfolding the story of redemption. And then we're going to move into Jesus and him as the cornerstone of this redemptive story. Pentecost is where the church is formed. And then it says, you are here, which is kind of my favorite part of this uh, slide, if you can see that. You are here. You see that? And uh, so we're going to kind of talk about our place in this big story, where we land and how, our, how this larger story informs um, our purpose and what we're doing as a community and how we're a part of something so much grander and bigger than ourselves. And then there's Judgment Day and the Rapture, and we'll talk about that as well. So it's cool because um, at the Bible ends with the conclusion um, of the story and how it kind of full circles back into the way that God intended it to be. And so uh, I hope that over the next 15 weeks, you won't, uh, if, you, if you can prevent it to not just jump in and out of service, it would be like jumping in and out of Breaking Bad, which is, again, a terrible thing to do. And so uh, I might throw a cotton candy at you, remember that? And so um, if you sit with us for 15 weeks, I really feel like there's going to be this narrative that forms and, and transforms how we see our own lives and our community in lieu of this greater story. Uh, we try to do kind of like a question at the beginning of service, um, especially I do. And so if you guys could break off into groups of like threes or fours, then I would love for you to meet someone maybe around you that you don't know that well, especially if you're a couple, if you could just kind of bring one person into your uh, coupleness, uh, your exclusive coupleness, that'd be great. And um, here's the question, if you were God, and could make two changes to the world and humanity, or humanity, is that, did I spell that wrong? Someone's laughing. What would they be? All right, so, um, oh man, I feel like I made a mistake somewhere. Okay, so I'm going to give you guys uh, maybe four to five minutes to go ahead and talk about uh, this question, and then we'll come back. Make sure everyone around you is included. That would be awesome. All righty. Thanks, everyone, for sharing. Um, man, when I think about the world, I mean, two is like 5,000 too little, you know, changes. So many things. I mean, we think about Orlando. We think about um, 50 people who were, who were killed in a mass shooting. And then the shooting we just had at, um, Cal uh, at um, <laughs> UCLA, thank you. Um, the, the rape case, I mean, there's just so much violence, even uh, right around us, that's really horrific. And then when we look around the world, it just gets worse. 
I think about the Zika virus and other, um, other, other diseases and famines that have destroyed uh, people's lives. And then I think about maybe even the, the feeling of um, selfishness and greed that has impacted our society, like what it would be like for technology companies to share information instead of withhold. And like maybe we would be riding on you know, flying cars <laughs> like 100 years ago if we shared information, things like that, or if we shared wealth um, in, in, a, you know, in a way that isn't uh, legislated but is, is out of our hearts. Like I, I wonder what, it would, what our world could look like in all those ways. And I think there's a frustration, and maybe there's a frustration with God, someone who could enact a lot of those things that we envision, that we hope for, in our, in our world and in our, our humanity, that, and, and he doesn't, right? And so there's this kind of old philosophical um, question of if God's all good and all powerful, why is there evil and pain in the world? You know, if he's, if he's all powerful, he could make changes. If he's all good, he would make changes. So, you know, but we see evil, evil so therefore something's wrong with God. But I think that that kind of undercuts this big narrative that we're going to go into, that the way God made the world was all good. The way that it was meant to be um, is the way that we can imagine it. Not only the, the negative or the pain or the, the evil being removed, but also it being um, a lot of the positive, a lot of the things that we dream about being en- enacted. The perfect world that God made is so different the one, than the one that we experience. And so when God made the world, he didn't make it flawed. He didn't make it filled with uh, viruses and violence and um, things that can destroy us. The word Eden means the pleasure of God. And so when God created the world, he made this garden. And in this garden is God's kingdom or God's perfect rule. Everything that he intended humanity and the earth and how we interact with each other to be uh, took place in this garden. And we have this um, kind of poetic narrative in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And I think that if it went further than a few pages of scripture, we wouldn't be able to live um, with concrete, a concrete concept of what Eden looked like. Just like I think uh, heaven or the new earth, the way that it's vague is to spare us from uh, a lifelong depression because it would just be such a vast difference than the way we experience the world. But he gives us some clues. He gives us some indicators of what it was meant to be like, of how it was meant to be before the fall. And, um, you know, I think about uh, zombie movies or, uh, apoc- you know, movies about the apocalypse. And there's the people who kind of transition as an adult from, like, normal life as is supposed to be or normal life into, like, zombie world. And they're always lamenting, right? And then there's, like, uh, Rick's son uh, who grows up in the apocalypse and, and kind of remembers the past, but he doesn't, he spends more years um, in the apocalypse uh, at some point than in the past. And then we have Rick's baby. This is all from Walking Dead. Not, not the Rick next to you, but Walking Dead Rick. And she's born in zombie world. And everything she knows about the world is this. And I, I can't imagine Rick being able to accurately describe 
how the world was before uh, the apocalypse or before the, the outbreak. And I think that's what is kind of happening here. Like we get Genesis 1 and 2, and we're trying to understand the world before um, the reign of God was pulled away, before man reigned in this world. So first we have unity with God. And um, we see in Genesis chapter 1 that man was made in God's image. And what that looks like is um, there's some qualities about us, like the way that we are eternal, the way that we are able to love and have choice, the way that we um, are able to create that is unique to being human. But also there's this intrinsic value that God gives us and purpose. So the idea of image, it's kind of borrowed from um, like Egyptian world where the pharaoh was the image of God and he was supposed to enact and represent God's purpose and enact his purposes on civilization or on his nation. And in the same way, they borrow this word and they say, we're supposed to be the images of God, meaning we stand in line with his purpose and we're his representatives on earth and we emulate what he values and what he desires the earth to look like and we steward and bring that forth. And that's one of the greatest ways in which we worship God is to uh, be his image, be his representatives. Um, Also, he calls us to steward the earth And so there's unity with God, but also there's this sense of purpose. And I love this scene where God um, walks Adam into the garden, and then he has all the animals line up and walk through. And and God says, hey, name these animals, and whatever you name them, you know, they shall be. And he just starts naming animals. And I feel like I I just kind of long for that because we can wander around purposeless. We could wonder for years what we're made to do and and whether we even have a specific purpose that we're uniquely built for. But here Adam is, and God explicitly speaks purpose into him, and then God kind of holds his hand and allows him to walk into that purpose with him together, kind of with training wheels on. And I just think that's a really cool interaction that they had. And then in Genesis chapter 3, there's after the fall, but it says that God walked in the garden in the coolness of the day. And the, the word walk there in the Hebrew has a nuance of it being habitual, meaning that this wasn't a one-time thing, but that God often walked with men and women uh, in the garden. And I think about like how, oh, no, yeah, oh, press it harder. Okay, so um, I think about how we long for that and how many times I've prayed that I could just see God, how many times I prayed that I would just hear his voice over something that I've been wrestling with or I've been hurting from, how many times I've wanted just to sit with Jesus and have it be more real than it is, you know, where I could touch him and, and um, where I could have back and forth conversation audibly. But that's what our relationship with God was meant to be like. This face-to-face, no hiding, right in front of you, interaction and dialogue and back and forth. And I think we all wish for those things. Um, And then also in Eden, there's this unity with one another. 
that they were naked, but they felt no shame. And this idea of nakedness is that um, they were physically naked, but it represented a vulnerability that Adam and Eve shared, that humanity shared with each other, that there wasn't this sense of threat. There wasn't this sense that I need to put up a facade or protect myself because I'm going to be hurt, because someone's going to abuse me or take advantage of me. But in, in the way that it was meant to be, men and women and, and us as a community could be completely vulnerable, could um, know each other in a way that we long to be known. And, you know, I, I just kind of envy uh, my, my cousins. They live in a small town in Indiana, and people will just say hi to you and talk to you. It's, like, mind-blowing to me, being a Californian, you know, where if you make too much eye contact, people see us as a threat, right? They give you the middle finger, and that's how we wave at each other on the freeway. Like, in Indiana, people, like, slow down so you could take their lane. In California, you know, they wave at you. And... Um, and I just kind of felt like, man, this is how it's supposed to be. This being able to hang out and talk and, and get to know someone just because you don't know them. But even there, even though there's like pleasantries, the vulnerability is still amiss. But in Eden, the way it's supposed to be, we're supposed to be able to walk up to someone and feel like close friends where we have nothing to prove and no one to impress. And we get to share a loving relationship with the people around us. Also, we see this um, sense of, of gender and order in Genesis. Uh, we're going to stop at the end of this month and have a large d- discussion on um, the conversation around the LGBT community. And so kind of get, uh, kind of get ready for that. We'll post a Facebook event. Um, and so I don't want to stop here and do that, but we're, we're excited. I'm excited to give voice uh, for our community, for um, what we believe the, doc- the Bible is saying about these things. But in Genesis chapter 2, I think that um, the way that men and women were made, men had, God gave men this purpose, and he knew that they were in, he was incapable of fulfilling it. For example, be fruitful and multiply is not something one man can do or any man can do. And so he makes this helper to come alongside of her, him. And it's not the help like a maid or you know, a butler. It's this helper in the sense that they're a team and they're working for a common goal and they can't do it without each other. And yet there's this order to them. And I think that the man and the woman are supposed to be representatives of the Trinity in the way that the Father and, and the Spirit, um, I mean, the, Father, the Son and the Spirit submits to the Father, and there's a hierarchy in the Trinity, so there's supposed to be a hierarchy in the family and in the church. And, but, you know, when we think about hierarchy and when we think about leadership, it's filled, it's filled with abuse. It's filled with... Um, command and control and, and power dynamics. But when you look at the Trinity in the way that they do leadership, in the way that they do order, there's service and sacrifice and exalting. And I think that that's what it looked like when God made men and women, that there was complete unity, there was complete vulnerability. They both understood how they were, they were supposed to be the image of God in a Trinitarian way, 
and also be the image of God in the purpose that they were supposed to enact in creation. And also, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, there's this um, making of, of women through the side of a man. And I think that, again, when we look at the intimacy with God and with each other, the way that men and women are made are totally different from creation. I think creation is magnificent, and, and Ken explained that so well. God speaks, and, and, and there's these planetary and, um, and, and life being created in massive ways. But God kind of shapes this dirt and, and almost like kisses it, you know, gives breath to it. And man is made with such intimacy with God. And then women are made with such intimacy as well as, as he puts um, Adam asleep and takes a part of his side and creates women in, in this amazing, gentle, and um, intimate way. And, and then there's the sense that um, Adam uh, loves Eve and Eve loves Adam as they would love themselves. That it's the selfless, putting other people first type of love. Um, lastly, there's unity in nature, with nature. And so we're meant to rule over nature in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29 and 30. And then also the second command is to be fruitful and multiply. This commission to not only be um, images of God, but continue to make other worshipers and other people who would be images of God. And it wasn't laborious to do that. Um, Adam had the whole, Adam and Eve can eat from any fruit, so they, there wasn't scarcity. There wasn't this like, man, I need to provide for my family. They could run fully after the passion and purpose that God gave them. You know, in junior high, I realized everything I enjoy, I can't do for a living. Uh, I mean, I could be a pastor, but like, I wanted to be a basketball player, and that's like way out of, you know, obviously. And then I want to be an artist and a musician, but if you ever see me do art, it looks like Maddie drawing a potato person, you know? And, um, and I think we all feel that. I, I feel like there's something we would love to have done, and then there's something that we're doing now that um, we've had to give up something for, you know, whether it's giving up our passion for um, stability or it's pursuing our passion at the sake of stability, um, or it's giving up both, you know? And um, it wasn't, that wasn't the way it was meant to be, that God pushed Adam and Eve into their passion and purpose, and they weren't thinking about surviving. They weren't thinking about finances. They weren't thinking whether they had enough. They weren't thinking about their body decaying and dying. Um, Adam could have you know, climbed up Mount Everest and then jumped off, you know? Or I, I go to like Yosemite, Yosemite and the Grand Canyon, and I just think one day when I have my glorified body, I'm just going to jump off this cliff and like belly flop into the lake, you know? Like I won't, I won't care. I'll play basketball again, you know, crazy things like that. And um, I hope that when we dream about how the earth could be, that somehow Genesis 2 would come up and we would know God made it in a perfect way. He made it better than we could have ever imagined. Um, and I hope that there'd be a longing for it as well. And then we have the fall. So, Adam, um, so Eve is hanging out and the serpent talks to her and uh, talks to her about this fruit where she could be, um, where she could be like God. 
And that's really why it's a sin. It wasn't because she was curious about the fruit. It wasn't because um, she was kind of hungry or she didn't know what would happen. It's because she exercised the free will that God gave her to choose to be her own God, to choose to rule herself, um, and to have you know, her reign and her kingdom rule uh, instead of his. And God placed the tree in the garden in order for man and women to have free will, in order for them to have free will every moment of their lives, where they're continuing to choose to live under God's reign instead of their own. But at some point, Eve, Eve and Adam chose to eat this fruit and basically to say, I want to reign, I want to rule instead of God. Um, and, then, and then God appears um, and walks with them in the coolness of the day, and they hid themselves from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and asked, where are you? And I think this where are you isn't like a locational question, like, uh, like which tree are you hiding in? But it's this relational where are you. It's like when me and Nina sit on the couch and, and we feel distant or we just got in a fight. And even though we're next to each other, even though I, I know where she is, um, it's like we're apart. And I, I just hear some of the grief and sorrow of God in this question. Where are you? And there's this tenderness, too, where he's not driving them out towards him, but he's drawing them. He's allowing them to step out um, with this question. And he said, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Uh, have you eaten from the fruit that I command you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is it you have done? And so um, we, we see God start to ask man what's going on, ask Adam what's going on. And instead of owning it, instead of saying, yeah, I messed up, or please forgive me, he not only blames his wife, which never ends well, by the way, but he, <laughs> well, let me tell you, um, <laughs> But he blames God. He gives the onus to God. He's saying, it's your fault that you created Eve because she's the one who caused me to sin. Not only is it not a good idea to blame your wife, it's usually not a good idea to blame God either. Just, you know, notes if you're taking notes. Um, God asked the woman, what is it that you have done? And she said, the serpent deceived me and, um, and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and eat, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put amity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. I will, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make the pains of childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I command you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. 
until you return to the ground, for from it you were taken, for dust you are, and, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. So just as we see in Eden, in the rule of God, unity with God, unity with one another, unity with nature, so when sin enters the world, when we decide to rule and reign, when we decide to live outside of God's kingdom, which takes place in a physical way where God removes Adam and Eve from Eden, right? From his reign, from his kingdom into the wilderness, we have separation from God, separation from each other, and separation from nature, and so we talked about this, but Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. They wanted to be God in their own life, make their own decisions, uh, create their own purpose. And, and that was the greatest sin, um, the sin of self-idolatry. And then we see separation in the way that they hid from God. Now God and man has the separation. And we see in the Old Testament, you know, God saying, hey, Moses, just take Israel and Moses is like, no, I won't go into, unless you come with me. And then he has to build this elaborate tabernacle so that he could be with the people without uh, judging and, and his wrath just spilling over into the sin. So the tabernacle was supposed to separate God, who is holy, from people who is evil. And for the rest of humanity, we have this longing to see God face to face, but this this... Um, but God spares us from that because we would die if we saw him. And if you look at all the times God appears to people, they start to like melt until he um, like extends forgiveness to them. And then we have blaming um, as God is and man is being separated as well. And then we have a separation between um, us and each other that instead of unity of purpose, instead of being on the same team, there's this control and ruling over each other. That um, in another version, it says the wife will want to rule, uh, control her husband and, and that he would rule over her. And if you're married, you understand that that's probably a better version of scripture. Um, but man, we see all kinds of hurt towards one another. We look at even, again, just this last couple of weeks, the kind of violence, the kind of, um, you know, rape and, and mass shootings and mass shootings and suicides. I mean, it's just crazy. And that's what happens when sin enters into the world, that instead of being able to be vulnerable, we self-protect, we, we hide, we're ashamed, and, and we don't take ownership for our sin. And lastly, we see a separation between man and nature. Um, instead of unity, instead of nature and God and each other pursuing the purposes that God's laid out, of, out for us, instead of having this fulfilled uh, sprint after our passions with no hindrances, no obstacles, man and woman's uh, um, purpose of subduing the earth because of sin becomes thwarted. And I think when, when God's enacting these curses, you know, some people feel like the, it's this active cursing of the earth and man and, and him and man, but I feel like it's all, there's this passivity to it, that this is the natural consequence of man's rule. When we rule ourselves, when we rule our relationship, when we call the shots in how we interact with this earth, uh, these are the things that happen. This is man ruling his own kingdom. Um, also, the second part of, Genesis, of God's commission to multiply is, 
is, becomes very difficult as well. It, it's not impossible, but thorns, um, the lack of provision, the difficulty it is to provide for our families and ourselves prevents us or hinders us from running towards our passion. We all feel that. The pain of childbirth, the cost of childbirth. Me and my wife are pregnant. You know, I'm, my goal is to get secondhand everything and only spend money on diapers. She thinks that I'm not a good husband, I'm not a good dad. But, um, you know, it's like we're poor, right? So, like, um, yeah, anyways, and then she's nauseous, and um, I'm really afraid of when she gives birth, you know? I'm really scared for that, for me. Um, you can pray for me. All right. So we have kind of sin taking over, and... Um, and we live kind of in this whole aftermath of separation from God, not being able to walk with him in a literal way, separation from each other, and separation from our purpose. But even in Genesis, we see this foreshadow of a redemptive story, and, and it unfolds um, as we go along. But we, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, as, even as God is removing them from his kingdom, because they've chose to build their own kingdom, to be their own kings, to be their own gods, he kills this animal, the first death in animal and people history. Death was not supposed to occur, but he kills this animal in order to clothe them. And it's this foreshadow of Jesus giving his life in order to cover our sin, cover our nakedness. And then also as he curses women, he gives this redemptive um, phrasing where um, out of the offspring of Eve, basically, from after like many generations, Jesus will be born, right? And we could trace Jesus back to Eve, that there will be this man that represents us, who's fully God, fully man. He's going, Satan, the serp, represented by a serpent, is going to bruise uh, the heel of Jesus, and that's um, in reference to his crucifixion, that he's going to suffer pain, he's going to die, but that Jesus would bruise Satan's head, which is like a kill blow, right? So you could recover from a torn Achilles, but you'll never be the same basketball player. But you can't recover from like being decapitated, um, and that's what that's what this that's what this is saying. And you know, as I think about, I hope that there's a sense of like, man, it was so good, it was so good, and we messed it up, and that sucks. Um, but that we're longing for the good days again. And even in the middle of our journey, and, and in the middle of this whole journey, there's this uh, kingdom of man that's being built out in history where there's full separation from God, each other, and purpose. But then there's this other kingdom that resides, the kingdom of God that he builds outside of Eden through Israel, that he builds outside of Eden in, in the same lane as the kingdom of man is this other kingdom, um, and in this place, it's the church. And as we desire God's rule in our lives, as we desire God's rule in our community, as we say that you're Lord and I'm not, we find unity with God again. Um, he resides in us. When we pray, he answers. We can involve him in different parts of our day. When we run out of love, we ask him for more, and we feel full of it. When we let God reign, there's this unity with each other that is this kind of return to Eden where we can be vulnerable, 
where we don't have to be afraid of being hurt. And it's not perfect, but man, when I look at this community, I celebrate that as our strength, that there's this sense that this really is for imperfect people only, and we can share our pain and our struggle. And I, I think I can be here for a long time as your pastor because I don't feel like I'm your pastor first. I feel like I'm your brother first. And I get to share some of my, our, my darkest and deepest wrestlings with, with you, um, with my closest friends in this room. And I, I've heard your hurts as well. Um, and then I think that there's a purpose that God's redeeming as well as we let him reign and rule in us, where he starts to hold our hand and say, hey, this is what I've created you for. This is how you're going to build out my kingdom. This is the dreams that I have for you. And we get all those things because of Jesus, who dies on the cross for us and brings us back in relationship with God. We say, we say sin isn't just some evil we do, or, but it's really saying, God, I don't want you to rule in my life. I'm going to make my own decisions. And being Christian simply means saying, God, I don't want to make my own decision. I don't want to rule my life anymore. I'm sorry for the times I did it. When I, make, when I rule, when I'm God of my life, people get hurt. When I'm God of my life, I lose purpose. When I'm God of my life, I'm separated from you. Being Christian just means saying, Jesus, forgive me for trying to be my own God. I want you to be God. I want to follow you. I want to experience purpose and community and relationship with you. So this morning, if that's, if that's what's on your heart, you know, if you've tried to live your own way and you're like, this is kind of empty and my, super, and my relationships are superficial, and, but I really think of God's out there that will align all those things um, I just want to extend that invitation to you to ask more questions or even in this moment to say, yeah, I want, I want this God to rule in my life. I want Jesus to forgive me and to be my king. And for the rest of us, there's the communion table, and we celebrate that every Sunday. As we partake his blood that was shed for us and his body that was broken, we're saying, God, forgive me and help me to experience your rule in my life even more. We made that first decision for Jesus to rule, but that's a lifetime, right, of it being worked out in every compartment, in every category. And this morning we're saying, God, I still want that. And in the ways that I haven't done it, show me and help me to believe that your rule is better. God, we just come to you this morning, and we thank you for being God um, it sucks when I try to be God of Nina and my family. It sucks when I try to rule this church. It sucks when I try to rule my own life. It's, it's terrible. Things fall apart. Um, so I just first say, Lord, forgive me for the times I do that. And help me, Lord, to really believe and um, desire your rule. Um, and I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that we would desire that together this morning and that we would hold our whole lives before you. And, that you, and all of us have places where, where, where we have a death grip on. All of us have places where we're like, nope, I'm God here. I'm going to make the decisions here. But I pray that this morning we would say, man, it's so much better when you do it. And, it's, and you give us even more beauty and more freedom and 
um, and you fill our hearts. Um, and I also pray, Lord, for um, those who don't know you this morning but want to. I pray that we would desire you um, to turn to you and to have you be king of our life. Um, yeah, so um, would you do all these things for all of us? And, um, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, before we go into worship, I just want to invite you to take communion if you're a believer, if you uh, want Jesus to rule in your life. And um, for those of you who are brave enough to discover God and come out to a church service, man, I would love to talk to you about what all of this means and looks like for you. Seriously, like, I would treat you to dinner. <laughs> um, I will grab, treat you to great coffee. And I would love to hear your questions and have that conversation. So just let me know. Look for me after church, um, and we'll find the time.